Welcome to the CEO-led sales podcast, the podcast that empowers CEOs to gain control of their sales and have predictive revenue in the future. I'm your host, Andrew Ford, and I'll be interviewing Andrew Phillips, the sales expert and the author of the book, The CEO-Led Sales. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the CEO Led Sales Podcast. I'm Andrew Ford, your host, and today we have Andrew Phillips, the author and the founder of the CEO Led Sales book and business. Welcome, Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. How are you today? I'm very good. Yes. Ever used to these two Andrews. Yeah. Um, today we're going to progress the right model. We've been talking through. First, we started with the right clients and the CEO Sales Plan, the attainment plan, uh, and we're working our way through the sections. So this next section is the right teams which goes into the team plan and the remuneration plan, which I think is going to be an interesting part. I think it's a bit controversial, some of this, um, in talking about how we change people's, you know, the way they get paid and the focus of what they do in organizations. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into it today. So without further ado, tell me a bit more about this team plan and how we change people's roles to focus on the client, because that's a really interesting part of the book. Yeah, look, and I think it probably, while all of the right model is different to what is going on today in the marketplace, the team plan absolutely changes the norm. Yeah. So it is the thing that is going to be one of the more challenging parts of the plan to implement it because it's going to require cultural change in organisations. Mm. Now, I actually think it's a great thing. I think the way I see large enterprise organisations set up today as silos doesn't do anything for helping your clients achieve what you say you can achieve for them. So, what I'm saying is that we need to we, – we sort of talked back in the Attainment Plan podcast about this whole process of learn – um, we sort of talk back to the attainment plan process um, about how we learn, focus, align, and execute. And so that's how your client experts um, implement and create the value as a result of the CEO sales plan. So now you need a human element of all of that to keep supporting that growth. And what I see currently in the market is we have individual people, called salespeople, having to go and prosecute a deal on their own. And right back in the office are a whole wealth of brains trusts that you could bring to bear on that deal. And, you know, there's no there's no game on earth that isn't more powerful when you've got a team playing it than mm. when you've got individuals playing it. Yeah. So what I'm saying here is that we need to reimagine how our organisations look. Uh, in previous podcasts, I've sort of defined, I've said organisations are roughly split into two. You've got a selling part of an organisation and you've got a delivery part of the organisation. Some people spend both. Now what I'm saying here is that if you've got someone sitting in the office, the head of finance or all the finance people, the head of uh, HR or all the HR people and the, you know commercial and legal and all those people, why on earth do you have them sitting in the office just doing that job when they will bring a wealth of value to pursuing a deal? Now, we all know that a lot of organisations do have um, opportunity review boards, deal inspections, those sorts of things. And often what happens is people come in and do what they can do to unpick a deal. And I feel that it's the wrong end. What you need to have is all those people 
in the deal in the first place to make that deal exceptionally robust. Mm. And you'll recall back in uh, early parts of the podcast, we talked about having putting every single deal into the pipeline, get everyone in okay. there, pursue them, and then they will qualify themselves out. And the ones that stay there are the ones that we want to pursue um, as a result, you know, using our using our team structure. So that's that's the way that's the way this will work and, and we'll look at moving into the future. Yeah, great. So so let's qualify what a team is in this situation. Let's let's use an example. I think would be a good way to um, you know uh, help people understand the the real format. Because then there's different sort of business situations. This can be applied to you know in the last podcast we say to small sales we could be selling cars, we could be selling yes. retail, yeah. or we could be selling big deals in corporations. But let's. Let's say big deals in corporations just to keep it simple because that's probably the most likely scenario for, for the whole team model to come together. Yes. So, so uh, from your experience of, of doing this for years, have you got an example where you've got um, a large deal that would, bene- you know, would have benefited from this more team-oriented approach and how those different aspects, like when, does, when do they come in? Does, does law- legal come in just at the contract stage? Does HR come in just when you're looking at the delivery of the deal? So, give me an example of how that would work. No, they. Can, so, this is a, it's a great question because what happens today is that you know legal will come in late into a deal process, and HR will, and accounting and the like. If you've got your professionals involved in the deal two years before it becomes a real deal, they understand that deal and can start to massage and move the deal in a direction that is really quite positive for your organisation early on, as opposed to finding showstoppers late in the deal after you've mm-hmm. after you've invested a whole pile of money and you get to a point you go, ah, oh, we can't pursue this. And I've seen that with deals yeah, where yeah, yeah. you might have recently involved in a deal with an organisation, they were shortlisted to pursue the, um, they were shortlisted from the EOI stage, then they got the RFT documents, they started working on those RFT documents, they had to start circulating them a little bit further because of governance. Suddenly we've got parts of the organisation saying, we don't do that, we can't do that. They wasted yeah, all yeah, this yeah. time. And it wasn't actually just the waste of time that was critical, it was the reputational cost it cost them with the client because the client had shortlisted them, yeah. expecting that they would do that. If that is a really very clear and defined example that if there were broader people involved in the deal from the day one, they either would have understood it more and would have continued to pursue it or they would have qualified out, qualified out much, much earlier on. Yeah. And so these are the things that will, will benefit from having more of a team approach to the deal. Yeah. Um, and make no bones about it. The client expert is, leads that team. The client mm-hmm. expert, and we'll talk about pursuit plans later on, um, and, the, and a pursuit plan is an individual plan that looks after a deal. The attainment plan looks after all the clients and the deals collectively in a territory. So the, the, there's no fuzziness or cloudiness as to who owns the deal. Client expert owns the deal, but they have a brain's trust around them, helping helping them understand and have much greater clarity around what a deal is and what a deal isn't. Yeah, and I, I think this works, you know, if you start from the very start with the you know, sales plan, and then progress through qualifying the deals because I can imagine that, you know, legal would be like, I don't have time to work on all these deals if they're not a real deal. However, because you've qualified out a lot of the deals, there's less deals to actually work on. Completely. You know I mean? So, yeah, yeah. because you've you've got just the quality deals left yeah. in there yeah. and if they're evolved early, like you said, yeah. then, you know, because I can actually imagine someone going, oh, well, um, we're pursuing this big deal with this big client. 
um, and someone from finance says, oh, look, you know, their payment terms are unacceptable or I've dealt with this company before or I know the CFO over there and they're, you know, they're not going to be the sort of people we want to work with or any of the, you know, yeah. the delivery team yeah. could be saying that, the legal Completely. team could yeah. be saying that, you know, we, don't, we can't deal with the terms and conditions of the government because we don't have this so forth structure with the salesperson just not going to know. I mean, that's right. You know, particularly if they're new or yeah. they they haven't gone through this deal with that client. So I can understand that. But how do you get them? How do you get them involved? Like, how do you actually, you know, um, get those different silos to actually work together? Well, see, this is a cultural thing. This has got to be led. That's why we have to have the CEO on board. That's why mm-hmm. the only mandatory part of of the right model is the CEO sales plan, and then you can implement quadrants from there uh, yeah. forward. The thing about wasting time, and it's a really interesting thing, and I know it's going to be the biggest pushback that we get because we'll have a CFO or we'll have a head of legal go, I can't do it myself and I haven't got anyone in my team. The reason why they don't have the time today is they're pursuing dead deals. Yeah. That's the problem, right? They're out there, they're spending three months negotiating a deal that they were never going to win. win. Never going to win it, but they're busy. I'm busy doing this. But yeah, you're busy negotiating a deal that you're not going to win. Yeah. So let's come right back to the start and we, by qualifying and having a better approach, a more team-like approach, you will get to the end and you will have deals that you have, what we talk about in the book, a right to win. This mm. is not saying you're going to win every deal. Mm. I'm not going to say that at all, but you've got a right to win the deal. There are many, many deals that you're working on today that you have no right to win. Yeah. And again, we talk, if you do win them, you'll be compromised somewhere in an SLA, in a pricing structure, some part of it you'll be compromised yeah. in and you won't know it until a year later. Yeah. And, and in fact, a, a benefit for the people if they are listening in there from you know, legal HR, accounting, whatever, is that at the end of the deal when, because I've worked on these deals too, I've yes. been in this yes. sales position, where you get to the very end and you think you're going to win it, yet the, the you know an, a clause... A condition, the client comes back with something, and that that person, the person outside the sales team, feels very uncomfortable with that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of pressure on this legal team to go. You got to accept this term because we really need this deal. We'll spend a year on it. Yeah, and and then there's this pressure to bend. Yeah, it's the end of the quarter. It's wherever yeah. we got to got to do this. It's strategic. And then we're signing ourselves up to compromise deals. And, and, and yep. they personally have to compromise. So yes. if they spend the time at the very start when there's yep. less pressure and they can have their voice and say, no, we don't yep. want to compromise on yep. this particular aspect because it is a personal thing. You know, it's Completely. a moral sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you have yeah, to it's do. ethics. It's all of it. It's, it's the company governance. And if you've got it two years out, you've got a chance to influence the client to look at a different way of achieving the outcome yes. because often what you need to know is why does the client want this? Yeah. What's important for the client about that? Now, when you're in a tender situation, because the shutters are down, you can't ask that question. You can't question. ask the question, yeah. Or if you do, they go, well, we can't answer that, right? And But two years out before the tender came out and you're talking to the client about where you might be seeing some particular aspects of the deal, they say, we need to have this. You go, well, why do you really need that? Or what we really need is this. Okay, well, how about we look at this yeah, structure yeah, yeah. like that? What a powerful conversation. And then when we talk when we talk about the power plan later on and we talk about control, you can say we actually influence that deal. We truly influence. Client was thinking X, yeah. we got them to think Y. And so, so th- this is the powerful thing about having that, teal in, that the team involved early mm. and often but still clearly 
being um, being rallied by the client expert and obviously the sales coach helps out there as well. Yeah, it's a really powerful sort of difference of thinking. Very, very probably challenging to implement. I can imagine this will take some time yes. and re-education and may even restaffing, to be honest. Well, well, I think that this is right. When a CEO gets on board with this, their hiring um, their hiring view will change. And in the book, I've outlined a couple of tables of attributes of the sorts of people mm. that I believe the attributes of those people are. These are natural attributes that you've got. Um, you'll start to look for as opposed to it's as opposed to, you know, so we must hire for technical competence. Yeah. There's just no – I was actually listening to a really other, another interesting podcast this morning. As you know, Andrew, one of my passions is brewing beer. And uh, <laughs> it's a, it was a, um, a beer brewing podcast and was talking about coming out of COVID and how bars are back, opening back up again and people are coming on board and um, there's a bit of frustration in, in the customers coming in because – because it's struggling to get staff, so people are waiting a longer time for mm. it to get served, you know, like that whole thing. But this person was saying, so you've got to come back to the fundamentals of hiring the right people with the right attitude because we can teach technical skills yeah. later, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so just, you know, so that's a brewing industry completely outside of outside of this, but it's a fact, and I think we've always known it, but it's good to remember yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and it's, and it's, it's going to take time. I think that this is one thing in you know, in your book, in to, to do this change from the CL, you know, plan starting to the end result of having this reliable, consistent deal revenue, you know, being the CEO, be able to sit in front of the board or investors and be confident in the numbers and, you know, no recutting and yes. urgency at the end of the year. I mean, that's going to take years. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah. Well, Matt, don't bones about it. It would be lovely to be able to take a tablet. <laughs> we can't. Um, yeah. This takes a long time to do because we're going to be undoing 50 100 years of previous selling, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're going to be undoing that slowly and surely because we can't throw the baby out with the bath water. Yeah. We cannot miss our number quarter by quarter. Yeah. We can't do achieve, We can't do any of that stuff. So you've got to change it slowly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the, we talked last week, you know, culture each strategy for breakfast. Yeah. So you've got to get the right people in there who have the right mindset. You've got to get a CFO, a head of legal, head of HR, who is comfortable saying, you know, my day job is doing my technical things, but the outcome of the business relies upon me using all of my skills and all of my knowledge to create much better sales strategies. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just thinking back to, to my sales years and and I remember in, in one of the companies I worked with, legal was thought of as like a sales blocker. Absolutely, yes. They were like, you know, yeah. they come in at the end and they're yeah. like, we can't do this, we can't do that, yeah. and there's 50 clauses we have to yeah. do, and we're just like, oh, my God, yes. yes. And this is when you're trying to close the deal yeah, right, that's right at the last end. last moment. Yeah, all the red ink comes back yeah. on the paperwork. Whereas yeah. I, then I went to a different organisation and legal was like almost an enabler. They, yeah. they, they were coming to the deals and they were a different sort of attitude of legal of how can we not, not, because, you know, obviously they're trying to protect their, themselves and if you're trying to protect yourself legally, you just have every clause in your favour. But right. you can't yeah. get an agreement with yeah. that. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that's just not possible, mm-hmm. in, you know, when you're selling something. Um, and so really it was just an attitude difference and it was a cultural difference of the organisation. One was built to sell and the other one was built to protect. Yeah. And I guess you need that, you know, you need both. Yes. But it's the understanding of doing it early and not later when the salesperson's stressed and trying to negotiate and push and, Coerce, and that's when they don't like it's when they don't like salespeople. Well, it's this like, comes back to the trust. Becomes, comes, you know, it becomes yeah. confrontational. You know, yeah. yeah. We talk about trust earlier on in the book as well, and that there is this lack of trust in the organisations. And 
it's quite understandable that right now when a salesperson puts a contract in front of a legal person, say you've got three days to review the contract and I and I don't want any red ink on it, yeah. well, what on earth do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're setting it up to fail. You know what I mean? If you bring it on early, if you've got them engaged from the, from the get-go, and most importantly, if the legal people know this is the deal we've got the best chance of winning, because what we're not seeing with the client expert model and the remuneration plan, we're looking at what's the best outcome for the client, not what yeah. the best outcome for the individual is. Yeah. So there's no motive behind this individual trying to get a deal across the line just to get the commission and run. To your yeah. point, a couple of podcasts back ago, you're, you're the fellow you were working with got their commission and off they went. Mm. There's no, there's no because what we're talking about in the remuneration plan is that there's a five-step plan here that lasts over a long period of time. Yeah. So the it's the it's the company that's at the centre of why people are doing the right thing, and it's the state it's that stakeholder conversation, mm. the clients, the company, including shareholders and the staff, including themselves. It's interesting. I wonder whether the sales team, like the sales coach and the sales um, person, or the the client expert, as you say, um, really need to start changing this from the inside out as well, and. You know, if you're thinking about going from, you know, where they are now to where they want to go and start engaging earlier and different totally. and, and that will start changing the culture of the organisation yeah. because they'll be like, oh, wow, you know, this person actually comes to me early and asks my advice rather than comes at the end and tells me I have to do this now. Well, and, and I think if they, if they did that with all the departments, it would start to form that more cohesive culture uh, and at the same time, if their boss is saying, you know, we need to be more client-oriented and there's a change in remuneration, mm-hmm. we'll talk about in the next podcast, you know, it would work in unison of, of getting them to work closely together because they can, I'm sure they can. It's just a matter of, you know, having the framework and having everybody on board the yeah, same good, vision. It's, that's completely yeah. true, right? So once we've got the CEO sales plan in place, you know, the CEO will identify the people who should be in the right team. Mm-hmm. And then when the attainment plan gets put into place, the sales coach and the client expert are negotiating with, people in the business to say, we would like you as part of our team to pursue this deal. And that deal, as we talk about in the attainment plan, could be four years out. Mm. Could it be more, but let's say four years out. A big enterprise class deal that's just been signed with one of your competitors, it's a minimum of three years, yeah. probably going to get a one-year extension. Yeah. So that's four years out and you get a plan in place to say, uh, you know, someone from different disciplines within the business, will you be part of my team? Yes, I will. Then you've got that four-year journey mm. for everyone to be completely familiar. So there's no – it, 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 this doesn't happen by accident. This yeah. happens because you've designed it to happen. People are on board. People can see. And everyone you know, everyone likes the pursuit of a big deal. There's no yeah. two ways about that. Yeah, everyone yeah. likes that. And while there will be some cultural changes of people saying to you, CEO, I'm not a salesperson, I'm not a this, um, and the answer is no, you're not. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You're not. We've yeah. got a client expert who's who's doing those sorts of activities. You are the brains trusted this deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if that classification is kept solid, I think people will be more comfortable. I think yeah, that's right. Because the language matters as well. Yeah. Now I wanted to get into the particular roles a bit more detail because you do document in the book um, the attributes of of like sales coaches, sales teams, and those sorts of things. So what I wanted to start with was the sales coach. 
because you mentioned them and they've got some you've got some interesting language about this and i just wanted you to take us through you know what what do you think makes a good sales coach well so in the book i sat back and i in, in writing the book i thought you know what are those attributes that i've seen work when we're trying to create coaching environments and what are those attributes that don't work and of course, we, you know, we see coaches across every aspect of life. Yeah. And, you know, we've got, we've got life coaches at one end and we've got football coaches at the other end. And I'm not trying to say that there's a, that there's a right or wrong, right or wrong, but, you know, there's people doing all those sorts of things. And so I, 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 I got down to the fact that I thought if we had three overriding head, headings for a behavior that we'd like to see, you know, it's an enabler. So a sales coach is someone that will enable someone else to be successful and enable teams to come together and create that uh, a positive environment. They've also got to be a bit of a warrior uh, mm-hmm. as a heading line, right? And um, in the book I talk about this heading line of a warrior because there will be times when you've got to be a, a little bit – there has to be some force in yeah. your activities to get some deals to work. And that can be from both from disengaging with, a, with, with in a deal and engaging in a deal. So yeah. so that, that warrior aspect is um, – is uh, so very decisive, very decisive, very very clear in where they're going. Mm. Um, sticks to the plan, but also knows that if the plan's not working, it's time to change it. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that doggedness, throwing yourself against the brick wall, doesn't work either. Mm. And then trainer, right? So then this whole trainer aspect is is the sales coach, but the training aspect of that is around getting you better. So mm. coaching is a is a like a strategic um, directional overall performance enhancing type role but within that that trainer role is okay andrew's a really good um really good presenter he's a really he's articulate he's got this but he's a bit weak in understanding the commercials of this deal i've got to give that got to give andrew training in that particular area so it's that type of balance so i see those three the three uh, enabler warrior and trainer as being the overall arching um yeah. The attributes that we're looking for. Yeah. And you've got a lot more detail in the book about that as well. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, yeah. But, um, and then so with the – is the sales coach just the best or the most experienced or the person who's been in the company the longest of the you know, client experts? Is that kind of how it works? No, I don't think it does work like that. And this is, I think, one of the major problems that we see today in, in sales organisations is that salespeople have been successful for a couple of years running and the uh, the – Sales manager that's there today leaves. They need to be replaced. Sales person thinks it's a great idea to become a sales manager, and all they end up doing is eighty percent of their time they are doing um, they're doing forecasts and sales pipelines, yeah. like admin, yeah. admin sort of stuff, and and that is demoralising to a to a sales person mm. uh, who wants to get out. So no, I think that you need to go and hire someone that's a student of the industry, you know, perhaps has been a consultant or an analyst, um, understands uh, behavioural patterns, understands a whole pile of things. I don't necessarily think that they are currently in your sales team today, but they could they could well they could be. be yeah. and the right I prefer to see them in your sales team, come from your sales team, but don't just think because someone's a good salesperson or, in my terms, client expert, mm. that they will be the best sales coach because that may not necessarily be the case. Yeah, and it's, and it's often the way. It's, it's interesting when I think about this from because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach here. I'm a business yes. coach in my, yeah. my business. And, and people, um, you know, use analogies of, you know, say, if you're the expert, therefore you can coach. But that's not – they're two different skills. Completely, Like yeah. the best players of sporting organisations yeah. aren't – 
always necessarily the best coaches because they're the best individual contributors, but they might not know how to articulate, explain, manage. Yes. They just might not like dealing with lots of people. They just want to get the thrill of the chase of the deal yeah. themselves. So it doesn't always translate, but but I've seen this time and time again with, where they, you know, you're the best salesperson, therefore you're the next sales manager. Yeah, and, and then they hate they hate it and also they don't do well. because Precisely. Then suddenly they're out of the company. They, they can't understand yeah. why these people yeah. do and just magically, yeah. you know, absorb their knowledge rather than them actually clearly explain and be patient. So there's a lot of different skills. Well, I, that, I remember back to my scuba diving instructing days, right? You know, you would have a you'd have a, a skill that you needed to teach someone clearing a mask. Yeah. Right. So mask fills full of water. You've got to empty it of the water and replace it with air while you're underwater. Yeah. Now it's really simple to do, but it's made up of about five or six subtasks to achieve that skill. Just because I've taught someone to do that doesn't mean they can teach someone else to do that. Yes. Because the subtasks are the important things, and you miss one of the subtasks, you just can't achieve that skill. And so that's where a coach and a trainer understands how to break things down so that you, and then you discover the thing in the training aspect, you think, ah, that's why they can't do that. Mm. They've got the five other skills, but they're just missing this one sub skill. Or in that case, I mean, if someone's underwater and it's their first time, they're probably nervous. And and you can tell them the five things, but they're not listening because they're too, they're they're in fear or they're, you know, they don't trust yeah. you because yeah. they don't yeah. know you yeah. or there's some other reason. So there's a whole bunch of soft skills that you need to have that you yeah. need to have. And I think that, you know, you've, you've articulated those in those three segments yeah. um, quite well. And I think that, you know, this is going to involve HR hiring different sorts of people or a different way of hiring salespeople. I think most salespeople come on because they've won deals. Whereas, completely. Whereas, completely. whereas they don't look at their attributes, yeah. they just look yeah. at your deal-winning history. Yeah. And I think that that is the biggest fail that we've currently got in the business mm-hmm. is just because they've won a deal. We know, everyone, every CEO knows that. Every every um, part person, particularly the non-sales people in organisations, they know that selling is a team sport mm. and, it, it, and, and it needs a number of people to be successful. And what I'm doing in the team plan is formalising that, right, yeah. as opposed to continuing to fulfil this fantasy that an individual salesperson does the deal and yeah. they just don't do the deal. Yeah. It yeah. just, just doesn't happen. It hasn't happened for 100 years. Mm. And, so, and that's, that's probably the same as, you know, in, in a football match, you know, the, the person who kicks that winning goal on the siren won the game. You're like, yeah. Yeah, well, I had to. Yeah, they had to get play. down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, had, you, right. to, you know, yeah. the defence is playing yeah. a part of the coaches. Yeah. Everyone's playing a part to get yeah. to that one moment yeah. for that person to be able to kick that goal. Well, that's right. And you know, and so what we're seeing in in selling today, and we'll talk about this remuneration plan, it would be like that one person being the only person who got paid for the day. Yeah, <laughs> right? right. And all the rest of the. 10 or whatever, 12 people on the field didn't get paid. Uh, you could imagine the fight for the ball yeah, in front of the right. goals. Who, so they wouldn't care. It wouldn't be a team. Exactly. And so that's what we've got today. And that's what happens when you've got salespeople on the, And we'll talk about this with the enumeration plan, but this is what happens today with the with enumeration in that the individual salesperson standing in front of the goal doesn't care whether they've got the best kick for goal doesn't care whether they are 20 metres further out than what they normally are. They will take a hit for it just in case they get it through so they get paid. Yeah. Whereas what I'm talking about in the team plan, the remuneration plan, is they will gladly pass it to the person who's got the yeah. best 
shot of getting that goal because they know there's a good outcome for them in that as well. Yeah, because the team wins. Because yeah. the team wins. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's go through the attributes of, you know, what a client expert might be because they're slightly different. I just wanted to cover that. Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, I, I've broken it down again into three three major headings. We've got the, the brand advocate where we've got an individual that understands the brand of the organisation they're working for and can clearly articulate that proudly to the marketplace. But that just doesn't mean going and having a good meeting. They've got to be presence on, have a good presence on social media. Mm. They've got to be able to have a multi, a multi um, pronged uh, approach to ensuring that their brand, the brand of the organisation they're working for, is one that they are promoting across across all areas. Um, investigator, and a lot of this, you know, a couple of my friends say that my forensic approach to selling is uncomfortable because I just pick apart a deal and you can find, <laughs> you go, ah, oh, there's a hole there. If that's true and that's true, then this third part can't possibly be true. Yeah. And so... Your police so, heritage you, coming in. Yeah, up. a little bit of that policing background coming back in. But there, so that's why I thought about this investigator attributes. How do you, how do you become a student of the industry? How do you mm. find out things about the market that are going to affect your clients going forward? How do you find out things about your clients that will affect mm. your deals going forward? How do you ask questions? And and we talked in the first podcast about asking questions with the client's ears on, not your ears. Because, mm. you know, like when you ask questions when you are only within your reality, every answer is going to match what you believe yeah. you already know, right? Yeah, so the investigator isn't like that. Mm. Police investigators, anyone who actually forensically investigates things has a completely open mind about what the circumstances are that they are that they're encountering mm. through that. And then the third, and, and, and no more important, these three things, brand advocate, investigator, and the third one is team player. Mm. And this comes back to the analogy we used a moment ago, standing in front of goal, you go, actually, this is not the best goal for us to get yeah, I'm going to pass it. I'm going to pass it because that, my colleague over there, has a much better shot, a much better goal, w- whatever, okay, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And that team player, and that means you've got an attitude of plenty. It means you're coming. A lot of uh, one attribute I see often with failing salespeople is an attitude of scarcity, mm. and they don't update their CRMs. They don't have they don't have account plans. They don't have um, opportunity plans because they want to keep it all close to their chest. Yeah. Uh, you are, and we talk about it in the book. And you ask them, um, can you can you please arrange us to go and have a talk to this client? Oh no, they're too busy. Oh no, they're this. No, no, you're not talking to my client. And I hear people say, you're not talking to my client. They're not your client. Yeah. <laughs> They're not your client. If they are your client, why don't you pay for all the pre-sales effort that you're yeah. going to go, that you're going <laughs> to use to go and pursue the deal? They are the company's client yeah. and they have to have that attitude. If they, that, that would be to me, if I was a CEO, the biggest alarm bell yeah. with someone saying, these are my clients. You can't go and see them. You can't yeah. say, I'm going to stop you from talking to them and it's, it is just a, a horrible attitude of scarcity. Yeah, and it, and it's and it just shows the, you know, the fact that they will only, you know, it's this binary: I'm going to win the deal or I'm not, and I'm going to get paid or I'm not. Yeah, and it creates this yeah. scarcity, and creates yeah. this culture of, you know, I've got to look after myself no matter what. Yeah, and and that's why they, you know, they win the big deal and leave, or yeah. they, yeah. you know, they're they're really out for themselves, and it's and it's you know, it's amazing it hasn't changed yet. Yeah, it, no, it really well, is fascinating, and, we'll see, and they really life. cleverly. I've seen them really cleverly coat it in a client benefit mm. 
label. You know, they, they go, oh, d- but my client won't like that. My client, no, it's actually you don't like that. Yeah. Oh, your, client, your client would love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, they'd like it if there was value. Yeah, that's right. right. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, and because that also does happen to be fair to, to salespeople or, you know, in the current model is that, you know, executives. Oh, know, they do baby kissing. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I want to come out. I'm, I'm traveling from overseas. I need to see yeah. some clients, arrange yeah. some clients from yeah. overseas. Got nothing to talk about. No, nothing. And they say, thank you very much for your business. Oh, gee, it was a long flight. I sat in business class and I'm just about to go off somewhere else. What value What value or, did you ever add? Or even yeah. worse is the client raises issues and that person writes it, it down and then does nothing do about, about it. it. Or makes commitments and, and then goes. And yeah. you never hear from them. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. Why would you come? Yeah, yeah. I have an example where a particular executive got caught out by that, went to to go to the client meeting, went there, client raised some issues. The executive did know about these issues, um, got on the plane and left town that day. You know, didn't like being confronted by the client. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's not good at all. <laughs> so, I ask questions that I want the answers Yeah, yeah for. exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is, that, so so it's it's not just the, the salespeople who have to turn to client experts. That's really everybody well, in that's the organization. Right. Yeah, and that's why uh, on the website we've got an example of a call plan because that this is the thing. Right, so we look at a football analogy. The the team trains three or four or five days a week Mm. before getting on the field. And if we think of getting on the field as being a client meeting, currently there's nearly no training. You'll hear things like, oh, we'll wing it. We'll, let's get there and we'll just see where the client takes us. You know, like really ridiculous things like that. And so I emphasize so much around what's our core plan. When, when are we rehearsing? How are we training? What are we doing? What is the outcome? What do we want to do as a result of getting this meeting with this client? How is it going to add value to the client? And those things are so critical. And yeah, so it's, and, and that's everyone needs to do that. And I think, you know, if the CEO uh, is able um, to, well, you know, because the CEO that we're talking to is one that's got full control over their company, uh, you know, this mandating client. Um, call plans mm. and rehearsals prior to going and seeing the client is mm. just a beautiful step. It's beautiful. And if, and if you're doing that, if you're thinking non-big deal companies to, to retail or smaller deal companies, that still applies because it's practicing how to talk to clients. Of course it does. Yeah, absolutely. Practicing questions. Absolutely. You know, how would you react to this? How, if this happened, what yeah. would you do? And, and because people don't prepare and, and they think that, you know, I can just talk to people and understand them. But sometimes they can't or no. they get frustrated or they... Many people can't. Some people can, but the majority of people just can't walk up and be able to create a conversation from scratch. Mm. And it's one thing if you're going to a meeting and you know what you're going to talk about, but if you're in retail and the doors open at 9am and in come 35 clients, every one of them likely has a different need mm. and a different, a different wants to achieve a different outcome, and you can't possibly be an expert in all of those, you know, no. and I accept that. But if you ha- are an expert in interacting with clients mm. and uh, you will be able to feed your way or feel your way down through that um, through that conversation piece yeah. and have a great outcome. A little bit of empathy. I mean, you yeah. use the example in the book of when you went to buy your sports watch. Absolutely. And that yeah. person was so good at just asking you questions. Yes, that's right. Four or five questions yeah. can solve a lot of these problems. Completely. Yeah, you completely. Know, where's this? Oh, it's over there. What do you need this? Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can be a bit more searching in that. Well, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I can give you an update right now. I'm looking to go to buy a new car right now. And last week I went out and I looked at two different brands of cars. One brand of car, the fellow spent his time asking me questions. Yeah. The second brand of car, they had two cars on the lot. That sort of met what I needed. Mm. 
I may want to be to buy one of them. Which ones would you like? Would you like that one or would you like that one? The moment I was a bit hesitant, they said, you do know it'll take eight months before uh, you get on the car. So they wanted to create this sort of attitude of scarcity yeah, to get yeah, me yeah. move me on. But they were interested in selling me a car, their car. Yeah. This fellow was interested in working out what I needed and then selling me a car, and yeah. he will end up probably selling me a car, yeah. so that's that's okay. Because well, yeah. we know the tricks. I mean, it's not like people don't know. I know, I know. I, I listen to it. And uh, as at a uh, as at a barbecue that Saturday afternoon, and I went, you couldn't believe it. They're <laughs> <laughs> still using these same tactics. They're still, still doing this stuff. Yeah. 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 So, so the last thing I want to cover is the rest of the people in the organisation, you've, you've outlined some attributes for them as well. So let's just go through those um, of what people should be looking for if they're hiring, if they're going to replace certain people. Or, well, know, everyone. See, I think, that, I think these, these four uh, attributes that I've listed here should be the basic hiring requirement of anyone coming into an organisation and then the technical skill. You know, we're just going to assume that they can give you a document that says I've got the technical skill. You know, we'll just assume that. But we have to look at uh, ethics and leadership in everyone, whether it's the person that greets us when we walk in the door or CEO, we all have to have ethics and leadership. Now, we might need it at a different level. Someone who walks in and greets you when you walk in the door of an organisation has a different level of leadership needed than what a CEO has got, but it's still leadership. Mm. And you need to balance that out on, on, the, on, the, on, the, um, on, on what you look for, but you need to look for leadership and ethics in every, in every individual. And, of course, probably ethics is fair to say whether you're the person on the front door or the CEO, your mm. ethics should be at the same level, right? Yeah. You, don't, you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have degrees of ethics. Um, and business acumen is exactly the same. Is the second of the pillars that I believe, again, the person on the front door needs to understand why we're operating. Mm. Why do we operate? And, and I won't even bother explaining what the CEO is going to have that. And then sales planning and selling. And the other last one is technology and solutions. And so, you know, for a non-technology company, just remove technology and put services and solutions in there. It's the same yeah. thing. But everyone is, everyone's got to understand what you do as a company and what keeps you afloat. Mm. So that you're at a barbecue on the weekend and someone says, so what do you do? Oh, I work for this amazing company. We do this, we do that. We've just recently sold some stuff to these people and it helped them achieve this. What a great outcome. Mm. You know, you've got to be able to have that conversation pretty pretty fluidly. Mm. And um Without that, you, you you'll miss the um, you'll miss the, the the process. And that fourth that fourth one is the sales planning and strategy. Again, I can't overemphasize the importance of everyone in your organisation understanding how we plan a sale and the mm. strategy involved. Because the more again, and I know I talk about the person who greets you on the front desk, but that person. And everyone else in the organisation, they, they might be the telephone operator or they might be the, they, you know, they, they could be the store person. They've got to understand what what's going on in that company. And we forget about them so often. So yeah, this is true. where I look at this this overall approach to how mm-hmm. how you, you look at people who you're going to come and hire. I'm so passionate about this because I, when you see them get it right, you go, what a wonderful employee. Because the great thing about it is you can then move that employee around the organisation because yeah. you know they've got the right base skills, yeah. you know, where they came in at that level and you can go, right, I've got someone who just started on the front desk who has all the base skills of a CEO. Mm. Might be 20 years away from being a CEO, but I've, I've got the right skills in there and yeah. I've got the training that's going on because there's nothing, nothing better and growing people from within your organisation and keeping them there for life and moving them and moving them along the, um, the you know that continuum of career advancement yeah. and uh, and achievement. 
And I think everybody, you know, from management theory that, you know, I've studied, it's, they all say that, you know, if people are behind the culture and understand what the company does, then they're going to be more engaged. Yes. Because they're involved in everything yes. that they do. They understand mm-hmm. the clients, the risks, the, you know, the challenges, that, you know, where the, the company is going. And, and they like to be included. You know, we think that, oh, you know, what does the receptionist have to know? You know, what does the warehouse person have to know? Why does the, you know, I don't know, the nurse on staff need to yeah, know yeah. that they do. They you do. Know, and they I, do. I really believe that, that that is true. They do know. And they want to be included and they want to be involved. And the more you involve them, the better and more inspired they are to do their job. Well, they'll, um, they'll understand why decisions are made. Yeah. They'll work it out. You know, they'll work out, oh, and that's why that, yeah. And you never know when they're going to try and help. Well, and this is, and we talk in the book, you know, you might be pursuing a large transport company and, you, and, um, and your store man has been working in a large transport company before working for you. Yeah. You, the, the person on the front desk, you might be pursuing another, and they work there beforehand. These are invaluable p- insights mm. that you can get. And if you don't know and you don't get this team approach going in the, which I articulate in the team plan, you'll miss out on so much value. Yeah, and there's and there's one thing you never know who people know completely. And this is this is a really interesting thing that I talk to all my clients about when I talk about networking is when they're like, "Oh, I'm only going to connect on LinkedIn to people that I know who are like my target clients." Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you could do that. Yeah. But you don't know that the person you just connected to, who is I don't know your hairdresser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say your hairdresser is a female. And she happens to be married to a guy, and he happens. His brother is the CEO of the company. Yes, I, I kid you not. This this sort yes. of thing happens. These are facts all the these, time. These, I had this interesting. Oh, so an interesting comment from someone on LinkedIn a few years ago. It said, "I'm sick and tired of all these random people contacting me out of the blue to be my friend. You know, yeah. a LinkedIn friend." And I thought, "You're crazy." What yeah. what bad outcome is it linking with someone on LinkedIn? Yeah. Why not? You know, and it's not like, you know, you, obviously you could look at that, the, the broad sphere that they are in. Mm. Um, and sure, there is always some shocks out there, without a doubt. Yeah. But you know what? Take the good with the bad. Take the good with the bad. Yeah. And, and this is an attitude of plenty, right? But, but the, you know, a, re- a receptionist could be connected to the person who is influential on that deal and have, have knowledge or input that could be useful. Totally. You just don't know. Totally. You know, and so, totally. you know, that's, I think it's, it's, it's almost rude not to include them in what's happening in the business because you're going to yeah. on this knowledge, on this experience, on yeah. you're presuming that they can't add value and I think yeah. that's wrong because, you know, you, they, they could be the missing link in some ways or some little piece that just adds value to that opportunity. Absolutely. So. And if you look at those four main pillar headings there, if you've got strong skills in all of those, you will know you've got the right people yeah. on your team. You'll know that it will work out perfectly for you. Yeah. Awesome. That's a great wrap-up of this uh, section. I look forward to next time when we're going to talk about the remuneration. Yeah, well, very controversial. That's another controversial thing. I think, <laughs> I think what we've just spoken about now is going to have a few CEOs shaking their heads and uh, remuneration plan will uh, will also, yeah. But uh, it's a key part, so I'm looking yeah. forward to it next yeah. time. So thanks, Andrew. We'll no see worries. You thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have any questions or would like to contact Andrew, please contact him on coledsales.com.au where you can also purchase a copy of his book if you're in Australia or if you're overseas, please head to Amazon where you can buy it online. Thanks for listening.